0: Hi Maji family, we had the privilege of hosting Henrik Park, founder and CEO of Afripods, a platform for podcasts. With an 18-year background in the digital sector, Henrik's story is that of success and failure in equal measure. He was however able to overcome two major setbacks to be who he is today. In this episode, he takes us through his journey in the media space, humorously articulating his experience from 1993 to present day. He also highlights some of the companies he has founded, as well as major lessons from his setbacks. Enjoy the podcast. How are you guys doing, Chilli Magic family? This is your host, Mark Karake. Excited to bring you yet another episode of the podcast. It's been a while since we did one of these. Um, we're going through a lot of uh, growth at our organization and rethinking programming and, and, and the podcast and uh, we have quite a quite a bit of stuff coming your way here shortly with uh, new programming, uh, uh, and new episodes of, of of other stuff that we are, that we are doing here at Impact Africa. Uh, this week, I am excited to host yet another uh, tech entrepreneur, a gentleman who has eighteen years uh, background in tech entrepreneurship, Henry Bark. How are you doing, Henry? Good. How are you doing, Mark? Good. Did I say it right? It's Henrik, right? It's Henrik. It's the it's Henry. the German
1: version of Henry. All right. <laughs> or the okay. French is Henri.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, but you're not German. Henry. No, I'm you Swedish. Are... I'm, I'm born and breeded in Sweden. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Henrik. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Well, to tell us a little bit about your background. I, I don't want to, I think you can do a better job of telling us who you are and, and what you do, and uh, we'll just take it from there.
1: Yeah, thanks. I mean, as you just mentioned there in the intro, I, I, I've been in the digital sector for, for 18 years, and uh, previous to that, I mean, I, I'm not going to mention too many years here because then people can kind of calculate how old I am, but uh, so I'm <laughs> like a stone age in the digital sector. But I I started out in the media in 1993, actually, in in, uh, in London after... I went to, to university in, in Brussels, in Belgium. So I've, I've been traveling around. And uh, then I went into media uh, and uh, as a controller for sports and uh, news presenter in, for a Scandinavian TV stand, st- station. So, so I started mm-hmm. out as, as a face, as they called in TV, uh, for a year. Right. But I realized that uh, that was not my thing. Uh, I wanted to work in the business side of, of media. So I went in mm-hmm. and, and to controller and then I became head of sports for for uh, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, for the largest commercial station. So I uh, started uh, negotiating a lot of sports rights. So um, we um, uh, and after that, I went into uh, Bertelsmann, one of Europe's largest media companies, which is a big owner in uh, football rights at that time. So um, I went into the sports business and uh, did that for a couple of years until I at an airport met an old friend uh, who had started an internet consultancy in the early ninety mid nineteen nineties. Who said Mm -hmm. that I should leave this old media and uh, join him in the digital media, and he he was very convincing. So I did that. That was decided at Copenhagen airport, (laughs) and I. So it was a company called uh, Icon Media Lab, which was one of the actually first internet consultancies that grew very quickly. And so I joined that in uh, 1999. And at that time, I'll actually tell you an anecdote. There was 3.2 million websites at that time. Uh, Today we have, what is it, 1.5 billion, Mm -hmm. uh, of which 200 Mm -hmm. million, maybe 300 million is active. So you can see uh, it was very, very early days. Mm, and uh, yeah. just briefly, then I also entered into a VC. I worked for a VC uh, where we mm. invested, and I went down and uh, started up an office in uh, late 1990s, then uh, 2000 in, in Madrid, working for Latin America. And then, my friend, we were hit by the first internet bubble crash. So I just had um, to pack my bags and uh, and leave. So uh, a lesson uh, actually from the early days for me is uh, be aware when too many investors come knocking on your doors and throwing money at you. It could be right. something that is you should look at. <laughs> There's something unhealthy going on. So I think it was a good correction of the market then at 2000,
0: 2001.
1: So... so uh, yeah, so, after that, just to, to, to conclude, I mean, my background, I uh, did a, a small startup which failed miserably uh, mm-hmm. out of Sweden. What were you uh, do? doing? Doing uh, actually right was online. It was actually uh, early, uh, I mean, games for kids. Uh, we started an app on a very big brand out of the Scandinavian market. But, uh, um, you know, you tell me uh, I can give you the business plan and you might tell me why we fail. I, you know, you never know. Sometimes nobody just liked it. So <laughs> it was a lot right. of money going down, uh, down the drain there. But uh, as a, as a serial entrepreneur, you never give up. You get hit in the face, you fall and uh, either you stay at home, cry or you tie, brush it off and, and, and uh, Stand up again, thing. And I did the latter uh, because I also had a family to try to support. So uh, I um, met some friends and we started a company called Readly in 2012. And uh, that is, uh, has been a very good run. And Readly is one of the world's leading now uh, platforms for magazines. Uh, it's a Spotify, mm. but for magazines. Uh, and we actually mm. uh, listed that company on Nasdaq just three, three months ago. Um, oh, wow. So that has been a very interesting run. But I left that company operationally in 2015 16 and then uh, started thinking what I, what I was going to do. And uh, I had actually also been out. I, I skipped the step here because I was actually between 2007 and 2010, I worked in uh, China with digital rights, also with, with football. Uh, So we started a a digital platform for Premier League. So we signed up uh, 17 or 20 Premier League clubs, did a cooperation with one of the largest platforms there called Suhu.com. And uh, we got, uh, at that time, the uh, Manchester City manager, uh, Mr. Sven-Johann Eriksson, who also was the Swedish, and he was the former England Mm -hmm. manager as a shareholder. So we Mm -hmm. had a good run there until... That's uh, probably why I forgot it, because that's my uh, second big uh, failure. Uh, Mm. And uh, because we were too successful, because uh, one day in 2010, I was on holiday in uh, Thailand and I got an email and I looked at it and it was very hot there. And uh, so I was sweating, but I started sweating a lot more when I read (laughs) this email. (laughs) <laughs> and I, uh, my family thought I looked happy, but I, they probably I was closer to crying. But in, initially, I thought I was, I was peaking because in football, in the football business, if you get a personal email from the CEO of Premier League, you're peaking. But then I started reading the email and I realized right. that he was telling me that if we didn't cease with our business, the Premier League would sue us for everything we had. Uh, So, uh, long story short, we had missed the clause with the clubs, Uh, we were too successful with the clubs, so they forced the clubs to break the contract with us, so we had to shut down a very fantastic business, or we go to court with the Premier League, we didn't want that. So, anyway, uh, jumping back to, so uh, after Readly, then I started looking what I was going to do, and maybe going back to China, because I... I haven't worked in Sweden for many years but then a friend of mine said no, you should start looking at Africa, do some research this is where the future lies in the digital world and that I did and I went down to uh, Tanzania first, came to uh, Kenya in 16 and it was pure passion from day one for me I mean with the people that I met and and, uh, the drive and the the opportunities—it's the world's fastest-growing middle class and uh, mobile—you know—continent. So um, I decided to uh, then try and start a company called uh, Afropods, which we have done, which is a podcast platform that we are going mm-hmm. trying to to uh, then uh, launch in in Africa. So that's a, that's a little bit about my. Um, my background. So I've uh, Mm -hmm. taken a few Mm -hmm. hits and some successes, but that, that creates an entrepreneur,
0: I think. Right. So I guess if you were to kind of, uh, you know, bullet point the key lessons from each of these experiences, I've got one that I can offer to you and then maybe you can fill in the rest. Yeah. One is definitely read the fine print of your, your your partners, right? Like how I mean this Premier League thing, you know, what is the key lesson there? I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe you can actually elaborate a little bit on that. What was the key lesson takeaway there?
1: No, you I mean you really nailed it there, Mark. I mean really I mean it's uh I mean, we, we brought in a lot of money. I mean, uh, we brought out in, in, uh, outside investors and uh, we got a lot of uh, good people connected to the, to the company like them. The, the, at that time, uh, Manchester City manager who drew a lot of intra- interest. We, we got all the clubs to sign up with us. But uh, the key lesson I would say is exactly that. <laughs> Read the fine print. There was a clause there uh, that was I mean it was very I mean I don't know what what kind of experience you or or your your listener have to to British uh, contracts but they're very thick and they're very yeah. complicated and um, yeah. I have now learned that I'm trying to stay away from those contracts because there's something always hidden in there unfortunately. <laughs> uh and That's good to make areas-
0: is that different from are you comparing them to more like Swedish contracts or what's what are you comparing them to?
1: No, I'm comparing it to more. I mean, I, I would say Swedish or German or where I have markets where I work, the Belgium. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a little bit more straightforward. I mean, I think you can see in the Anglo world, I mean, the American contracts or I mean, we, we see that in the world today. Everybody sues everybody right. in the United States. It's like a common right. practice. Uh, So I think those contracts are more difficult uh, and uh, Mm -hmm. I think they are also, I mean, I I would never, ever today sign a contract, a British contract without having a lawyer really dissecting it. That's, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a lesson I've, I've, I've learned and, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, but, so so i think that that's the key thing i mean really that that was a hard les- lesson to learn and and uh, of course that hit us also because we had brought with us a lot of profile investors and uh, so right. you take it hit on on your personal brand in a sense yeah. of, or credibility mm-hmm. so that that right. was a tough that was a tough one
0: yeah um yeah i mean definitely some of these things one one of the things i i and so you, sometimes you actually most times you really don't know where the the rock that's going to break your window is going to come from in this game, right? But you you know one of the one of the big ones is definitely this compliance and regulatory and all that stuff. It's it uh, it is definitely a challenge. But let's let's move on from there and kind of talk about Readly. This is a very interesting um, success story uh, for you um, and. Spotify for the magazine world I it, you know I want to say I've heard of Readly but I, I, I can't really be thousand percent sure but you know what was the insight there what led to that what was the problem you guys were solving uh, obviously it's a success so what, what was the problem you were solving in that space and what was the insight there uh, and, and maybe take a step back and say who had the insight where did it come from
1: I mean, we were, um, I'm one of uh, like six co-founders of that. And then the, the founder, he's a Swedish guy who had been actually in the, in the development of uh, betting sites very early and had uh, had a good run on that in the stock market in Sweden. His name is Joel Vikel, a very, very, very early adopter. And, and uh, he and I knew each other since my internet days of the Icon Media Lab. And Mm -hmm. uh, we actually were forced together to have a meeting by our respective uh, chairmans. And uh, so our first meeting was not very pleasant because none of us wanted to meet. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, (laughs) that's always. But I mean, he he and I met and uh, he actually uh, got the idea for Ridley when uh, he was on a holiday. And uh, he um, flew from Sweden and his wife loved magazines. And he had to go in and buy all these magazines at the airport shop. And he, of course, had to carry them for her. And they're they're quite heavy if you buy Elle magazine or Marie Claire or, you know, all these or interior design. I think we have all done that for our lovely wives. Uh, And, uh, you know and And for ourselves, if you like uh, car magazines or tech right. magazines, and uh, we should all carry them. So, for them. so he was like lying there on his sunbed and just like and, and thinking about Spotify, and he was like, why I, why can't we do a Spotify for magazines And he lives in a small town in southern Sweden, and uh, at that time, and I lived in Stockholm at that time. And then he I didn't want to go to his small town and he didn't want to go to Stockholm. So we decided <laughs> to meet at the truck stop halfway. And that's where we founded, agreed to start Readly. <laughs> which <Interesting. laughs> convinced wow. me that we had an opportunity. So we brought in four or five other guys of which three, which three were. And this is also a learning that I've had and bring with me. It's like when you start something adventure really look at the team and don't bring in guys that is exactly like yourself (laughs) bringing guys or girls that you can work with who are opposite in order of experience and maybe personality so we brought in three really these with thick glasses programmers uh who uh one of them is a fantastic guy nor like Peter he lives in his own small cottage in the countryside and he lives with his cat and he only plays online games and uh, program
0: <laughs> one of those guys okay <laughs> and he's one of
1: the biggest shareholders. he's one uh, he's a big shareholder in Readly today so okay. they we brought them in as co-founders and these guys just sat and programmed the platform on, in their spare time for a year and one summer we rented a house uh, for them and they just sat and programmed so we had no actually initial cost of the development mm.
0: um
1: so uh we brought we brought them in brought them in and my job was to uh, then take uh, pack a bag and travel around the world and convince uh, publishers that they should put their content on this platform.
0: Mm. Okay, wow, that's fascinating. So, how did you guys fund the whole enterprise? Was everybody chipping in? What you know, what was the idea? Was everybody? How did you manage that whole funding? Your your your, your time investment. What what would that look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the 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 guys, uh, the three guys who programmed. I mean, they had other jobs at the at, at uh, on the side at that point uh, for that first year. Uh, so it took about a year before, or maybe eight nine months, before we all said, "Okay, now we really get traction on this. So um, let's let's leave our other assignments and just go all in." But during those first, uh, what should I say, eight to twelve months, um, we, uh, you know, took out no salary. Uh, we, uh, the the upside was the shareholding, and uh, fortunate enough, we were all then in a position to not have a salary coming in and uh, and uh, no. so we could live on that. And not everybody has that. And no. we had then um, because I I didn't have a lot of capital at that time, and and uh, I. Um, I actually uh, were fortunate to them um, because Joel then he had a he had a substantial capital base. So when we needed computers or we needed stuff, he funded that and, and that made him also the largest shareholder so mm. shareholder of all six of us. so mm. that's basically. How we did it, and then after the twelve months, that's when we started going out to uh, to investors, and in and, and the, the first round, as you know, I mean, we just went out to friends and family, people close to us, uh, and at that time we had a, we had again the fortunate situation that Joel had had a very big success uh, before. So all the people who said no to him on that run, they, of course, came running now and wanted to be on this train because they said, I'm not going to miss when this guy does a second uh, thing. So so that really brought in the friends and family round. And uh, then in the second and the third rounds, then we started going out to institutional
0: Yes, so definitely. what was? So yeah, this is always fascinating story because it's also there's also lessons to be learned there on the fam, friends and family. What was that size of that round? If you don't mind disclosing, if you you open to disclosing it? No, I mean, I mean, in the
1: in the, in, the, um, in the, I have to think here now. But what could have What could I have been in the first round? I think we maybe brought in like five hundred thousand dollars or something like that uh, in the first round to keep us going for. For a year or or a year and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. that, and how much
0: did you, a... how much did you give up on the cap table for that? Uh,
1: in the first round, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was at, at that point it was something like twenty going away uh, around okay. there. So it was, okay. uh, you know, it's always good if you're if you want to because I mean it's of course for somebody giving up if it's one person or several person giving up five hundred at that point in time. It's quite a big risk. We all I always say that when I bring in people, uh in right. that point of time, that okay, this is money that you have to be ready just to forget. Right. Because right. this is high risk. Don't come to me yeah. then later and say that we didn't say that. So I always have that discussion with investors that this is money that you can just think now that they've gone. And then you think right. of them as a lottery ticket.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Wow, and then so so, how long did that last? How long that half a million last before you went to the next uh, round? About so, a, next about, a, round?
1: about a year, year and a half, and then we okay. had to start going out for more.
0: Okay, and and obviously, being seasoned entrepreneurs, you had set some milestones, and you're positioning yourself for the next round. Hmm. Do you remember how you set that up? Right? How did you what what? how did you think about when we go to institutional this is what we have to have so that we can have a negotiating position or we can look attractive do you remember that what those milestones were yeah i mean i,
1: I mean because for me uh, having been now in, in in this segment and done you know a few times now over and now started again in, in on the african continent uh, i mean i think it is um it is basically the same that you have to do. I mean, it's very important that when you start going out institutional mm-hmm. to, to really look at the team, because uh, being an investor also, uh, you know, a little bit, I, I, you know, for me, 50% is at least the team, because ideas actually are, there is quite a lot of them out there. If you're sitting and funneling and looking at ideas, you get a lot of that are quite similar uh, mm. sometimes. And then it is the team. Who do you think can execute this? That's why I would say when you start something, it's so important who you align yourself with and that you're thinking of, that you have covered all angles of it. Because you will always, when you look at a team uh, coming to you and and when you're going out and presenting yourself, you know that the seasoned investor sitting on the other side of the table, he's going to see, if he sees four programmers, his first thought is going to be, who's going to sell?
0: Right. (laughs) <laughs> and right. if you
1: have four sales guy it's like who's going <laughs> to see that this is going to work technically right. <laughs> so right. you know that that it's so important with the team I would say and then also looking at you know that you really have done your homework that you know the business and, and looking at the research competition you know stats that you can find sometimes I mean you're so early so there are no stats but then
0: you have to say that
1: Right. Uh,
0: so. so when you went to the to the professionals, of course, it seemed did the the team constitution. Obviously, I think in a year was the team the same when you went from after that one year of
1: no. Of at that her, time, we actually, if you're taking Reedley again as an example, then we have actually at that time we had brought in uh, about two, three more, four people, and we actually brought in also a, a, an external CEO. Uh, I was the first uh, CEO uh, in the company, uh, but uh, uh, long, long term and, and uh, being a bit older, I have learned also that uh, I am not the CEO uh, personality. Uh, you, need, you need a certain kind of person who, who are doing that. I'm the business development uh, guy if I'm staying operational in the company. And uh, my job was then to continue on to also convincing the most important partner for Readly, and that is the content owners, to put their stuff on our platform, the magazines. So we brought in a CEO at that time. And and then again, uh, I can give a lesson to all your listeners. And that is that that CEO, uh, quite honestly, was a mistake. Uh, Mm. and he is not with the company any longer and we should have done a little bit better uh, due diligence Mm. uh, Mm. on that and then see that that we as a team with him would have worked uh, better in in personality wise and uh, so there was very after some time there was uh, problems with the with the staff and uh, uh, you know, so so, and that we we also had a little bit of a different view on where we wanted to go, how we should do that, uh, and uh, he had um, another view, and uh, that mm. actually, I would say that we we actually lost one to two years in fast development in Readly because of that uh, we brought in the wrong uh, person at 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 that time, and uh, yeah. so that uh, you know you can survive that, and we did that with Readly. Uh, but, uh, but it, it, it's a challenge when you do that. I mean, so that was a mistake yeah. from our side.
0: Definitely. That's always, man, that is one of the big, uh, mistakes that, that. That's one of the big challenges like, uh, teams face when you're actually working on a project, when you're trying to build something, right. Because human beings are complex creatures, right. And you can only see what they present to you until after some time, right. Generally. So it's very difficult to know what what you're dealing with. But um, if if there's one thing that, you know, keeps me up at night, it's, it's that. It's like, um, how do you find not just the right talent, but the right personalities so that you can actually, um, you know, build for the long term? Um, yeah. And I would ask you, I guess, what would you have done different in terms of due diligence? So due diligence is just a general statement. How would you have uncovered or what was the kernel mistake there? Or how would you have known, knowing what you know right now, if you had to do it again in that particular instance, what would have been the thing you should have done to uncover that there was a potential problem there?
1: We were too fast. We we were too fast and we didn't get any. Um, we we were too fast and, and by being too fast, we uh, we did a sloppy job on on doing due diligence and uh, references and what we should have done is taking a little bit more time of getting to know him. Uh, really, you know more dinners uh, talking to people and finding out because the main main problem with that ceo that we brought in was prestige it was very prestigious Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know he uh, and when you when you have a startup you cannot bring in people who are prestigious and title fixated and this is my job and this is my area i want to be the one who does this and media can only talk to me and you know It is a disaster when you get the personality in early uh, in a company. You have to have people who are just even if you have had huge successes uh, previously, you just have to say, "Okay, guys, we're all at the same level here now. Now we roll up our sleeves and if this is going to be good, it's going to be good for all of us. And uh, so that was the biggest mistake we did. In a sense, we, we, we did a sloppy job on the due diligence,
0: actually. Right, no, that's that's a great lesson. I mm. mean, take your time. Uh, look for the right values. I guess I would say, right? Yes, um, definitely. Don't bring corporate types into the, the the startup game. It usually doesn't work very well. I mean, sometimes it can work, but uh, because people can be can be multifaceted. Uh, but that's a great lesson. Um, so the, the other question I would say now, let's move on to kind of Afroport and what you're doing with mm. with this new. Uh, Platform, Are you seeing this as, a, as something that Spotify will pick up down the road or what's your play here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you, you might see the similarities to the area I am within. And, and uh, actually, you know, Afropods came out of an idea. There is a Swedish, I don't know if you've heard about it, but there is a Swedish venture that was started some years ago called ACOST. Uh, mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest players in the european and now they're quite big in the US and um, they were before even spotify went into podcasting and they they're very big in in europe uh you could check them out acast.com uh mm-hmm. and uh from that uh, i started looking at you know um what you know that when i wanted to do something on for 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 uh, the african continent uh, I, uh, started looking at this because what is it, what is so amazing with, with, uh, Africa? It is that, you know, it's, it's a continent of, uh, of, uh, of storytelling, uh, more than anywhere. Uh, mm. and, uh, I think that also when you're looking at radio, the history of radio, how strong it is, uh. So I started looking at Acast and I just said, OK, this is something uh, we should do. So I, I can honestly hear and I can openly say it because we have been so good at uh, selling and getting in the friends and family. Uh, so one of the co-founders of Acast is actually an investor in, uh, in, uh, in Afropos, <laughs> mm-hmm. even though I have looked in his face and I said, I copied you.
0: <laughs> so what so ACOST is a podcasting what what do they do what is it
1: it's a distribution I mean that's the same with Afropods also what is it I mean it is basically just a distribution and sales platform uh, and mainly then it comes to sales uh, that you're you know so the absolute majority of people that is working on ACOST and which will be working at uh, Afropods going forward Will be salespeople just working on creating uh, uh, revenues for the podcasters that uh, the platform is distributing.
0: Okay, um, so basically, let's say Chiniyamaji Podcast, right? We are a podcast. Uh, how would you guys add value? What's the what's the angle here? What what do we come to you for? I mean, it it also has to,
1: depending on it. It also has to depend on. If you're looking at Readly, you can compare it to Readly also because you have an established podcast and you have your own network. You're distributing to different platforms. You're doing uh, sales, uh, getting advertising. Uh, I assume and, and and getting that in. Uh, but the thing is that when you're looking at and if you're looking at ACAST or Afropods, it is that. Even if you are, and we, see, we have seen that in Europe also, is that even if you are becoming a really big uh, vlogger or podcaster, I mean, if you're going to the huge brands or the, the media agencies, you know, it's just a practical thing. They cannot have every podcaster calling them doing a deal. Okay.
0: They need an aggregator.
1: They need an aggregator. They need to go so, to reach the really big advertising money you also need to be part of a network uh, Mm. who can distribute and sell. So, for instance, for you, as an example, it would be that then you would come and say, yeah, but listen, Henrik, I have a a pretty good platform myself here and I have the connection I can sell. So with you, a, a podcaster on your level or somebody who's really established anywhere else also, uh, it would be an individual discussion. It's like, okay, so uh, which which sponsors do you have? You want to continue with those, but we can maybe add these sponsors. We could look at, you know, you have a revenue split, which is different because you are already established, and so it's an it's an individual uh, negotiation mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. But and also, you- sorry, mm-hmm. go, go ahead.
0: ahead. So basically, you guys have the relationships with the big agencies or the big uh, advertising you know, brands mm. and you can kind of go to them and say, hey, we've got these podcasts, which have these different kind of target audiences and they can pick from you because it's just basically it's easier. It's much more efficient. Yeah. Them. And
1: also with Readly, I'll tell you one thing, and that's exactly the same with, uh, with uh, Afropods going forward now. The absolute value also that we, the strength that we will have. Uh, the company will have towards the market is also the stats that we can give, because it's all about stats. So, you know, when we started Readly, I can just give this as an example. We, we, The, the guys I told you about who sat in this cottage in the middle of Sweden somewhere, they came after a few months and they just said, hey, guys, look, we've built this uh, Readly analytics. And we're like, okay, what's that? And they say, oh, you know, we can check here and we can follow in real time. We can see how how many pages they have flipped and a man, woman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we're like, yeah, okay, sounds good. And then we went to the publishers, and that was what was getting the publishers on board because suddenly they had a tool where they could actually see how people were reacting to their magazines. I mean, it, it really has even affected the content production of big magazines as L, because they have seen, you know, in, in, real, li- in real time, they can see that Henrik here or Mark, who, who, is, a, who is a journalist, but, you know, why is people just staying one half second on their story? They're, they're skipping right. that and going on. Right. So there's something that with Henrik's writing that they don't like. So mm-hmm. actually it has changed editorial.
0: That's uh, amazing. The fact. Mm, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of digital, right? It, it, it gives, you know, like a, a transparency and the ability to see into things that people couldn't see before. That's, that's just fantastic, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I love that notion because, you know, you look at when I think about technology, right? At, at its best, it illuminates, right? And it surfaces what's valuable, from what is maybe anecdotal, or what was maybe uh, what what you would call like sacred like sacred cows, things that people believed in, but for no other reason that maybe that's just how things have always been. The thing about uh, technology and digital uh, technology is it, it can provide penetration, and um, I love analytics, I love insights, I love I love that type of stuff. So this is great. Um, so. I guess, you know, so you've made the move to Africa uh, and are you between Stockholm and, and Nairobi now? What's your situation?
1: Yeah, I'm going back and forth in a sense of, because we're also in the process of, um, you know, um, I mean, we, we built the app um, out of uh, Stockholm. So apart from me, one of the uh, largest shareholder in, in Afropods is... Uh, is the tech development company in, in, uh, in Sweden, which actually works with uh, Spotify also, uh, developed for them. But, um, you know, and now we are in the process of, uh, you know, really um, setting up uh, um, a legal entity uh, in uh, Nairobi as a, as a headquarter and moving the kind of the main legal entity into Kenya. Uh, and establishing, um, you know, the 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 that is an HQ and being uh, also tax uh, tax responsible for the KRA when we now start, uh, you know, in in earnest very soon selling. Uh, and I, I also want to say it's very important for me to say this because, you know, I've been uh, running around now in East Africa and, and uh, is passionate about it. Got a lot of uh, friends, Kenyan uh, friends and the drive I see there. But, uh, you know, I, it's also very important for me to, to, because my vision and my dream about this has been always that, you know, Afropos should be by Africa for Africa. That is why I've, you know, a lot. This is actually uh, the first time I am uh, interviewed or doing something like this because I have on purpose. I want to keep a low profile because, in 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 the long run, I see that Afropods also. We're looking at bringing uh, in uh, new partners, even if we wouldn't need to. We're doing it because. My vision long-term is that Afropos should be a majority-owned African entity. Uh, That's a smart
0: move. I mean, because I I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have kind of uh, misread those conditions. Um, And I think people are getting more and more aware um, that, you know, it's very easy to have like like a parachute kind of model which some people have taken advantage of, and it's very extractive in Mm. in the reality because digital, it's invisible, right? And if you know the game, you can really play the game really well. And, you know, I I see the digital, the way I look at this, uh, Henrik, is I don't know if you know the rest of what I do and what we do beyond the podcast. This is just very much a strategic thing that we do uh, for two reasons. One is to disseminate knowledge, right? Uh, of how to get things done in the entrepreneurial space and to democratize that knowledge because there's a lot of people trying things and making mistakes that they shouldn't be making so that's kind of like one of the problems we solve the other one is also just a platform for for our brand uh impact africa so essentially what we do is we launch companies um that's that's what we do and we have our own approach um uh, and Nobody's seeing us coming, which is what I love, uh, because most people don't expect anything to anything um, potentially successful to emerge out of the market. I spent, you know, almost uh, almost 20 years in Silicon Valley. So I have a very and, and I was born and raised here. So I have I would have to I would have, to say have some insights of understanding that um, I think uh, bode well for what we are doing. And the point I'm getting at is I, I personally see this digital revolution as a potential vehicle or platform for social, economic, and even political shift 10, 15 years down the road. What I mean by that is, for the first time, you can start from nowhere and build something. You can start from the outside and get economic empowerment, right? You can become a brand. You can become an influential person. We're seeing it right now. Mm. What does that actually mean? That means that you don't have to come from the right family. You don't have to go down the path of Political patronage—you don't have to, you know—you don't have to lie in bed with the status quo. And if you if you can create those outcomes at some critical mass of people who want change, uh, who are economically empowered, because mm-hmm. it's very important, right? Mm-hmm. Then you can you have outsiders who potentially, if they don't get co-opted, you know, once people become successful, sometimes their minds change. So at Impact Africa, what we're doing is we're taking a run at Mm. that idea that the digital revolution provides the opportunity for young people to take a run at industries. Mm. And if they have the if they have success and they have the right values and the right thinking in 10 years, they can be in a position where they can be influential. Mm. They can actually impact decisions that are made. So I see this as a that's what I see this as. So I always tell people, oh, you know, we are, we don't, we, I always say it in my mind, at least I don't tell it to people. I, I, when people are kind of, you know, doing startups or working on startups or projects or ideas, I always say like, oh, you're doing startups, that's great. Which we're, we're changing the world, right? That's the difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So but yeah, that's that's how we think about it.
1: No, I, I love it what you're saying. And I mean, I mean, I mean j- just to also, you know, Frankly, I mean, we should do that. I mean, I I think, I mean, always when I came, when I, since I came in, I mean, we always have the issue. I mean, I I take an example, you saw on Twitter in April, this, uh, this story that came about the 20 biggest startups, and you had this picture, and it was like uh, 20 Muzungos sitting there uh, in, in that picture. For me, it would have been a nightmare. I was so happy that I had kept a low profile because for me, that is the nightmare. In that right. Because right. Right. I, honestly, it has nothing to do. I, I understand also, you know, because we, you know, if you, I, I've been in politics once uh, here in Sweden also. And if you don't, I always say in politics, and we can look at what's going on in the great the nation of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Right if you do not understand your history, and that is anywhere. You cannot work for the future because you know you need to understand the history. And looking at the African continent and coming in as a as an outsider as I am, I know which kind of, which kind of challenges I have and hurdles and how I have to be. Even though, if I have, I would see that as a kind of a negative aspect in some. Uh, areas if I would come in as a bulldozer and say hey you know I've been doing this and I'm so good at that coming in I know that a lot of things will not happen because people are oh nice meeting you but nothing will happen you have to be humble to and so that's why I always see that and you know going back and forth now for the last few years you know it frustrates me so immensely when I come back and to an educated country like Sweden also I, I have friends in the media as I told you that I work there and I said, mm-hmm. you should fire all your Africa correspondents. Like, <laughs> why? Because when I put on TV, they 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 show in news. They show if if they talk about Africa still, and and they, 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 this is upsetting to me. They talk about uh, if it's Ebola or if it's some war somewhere or if it's uh, political. They never. I say, why don't you come down to to uh, Kenya and and. Right. Look at what's happening. It's a young, vibrant. They're pumping out programmers from the universities. It's a, it's a young, vibrant, high tech. I mean, uh, Jack Ma uh, at Alibaba, he didn't go to Stockholm, London initially. He, he goes to Africa and leaves after a lot of cooperation. And he goes to Nairobi and he goes to Kigali. He didn't go to South Africa. He didn't go uh, anywhere else. He went to Nairobi and Kigali. So I don't know if you can hear that, but I mean, I, I get it. My blood starts to rush a little bit because I feel very, and I understand this, and I have now a lot of Kenyan friends. So that's why mm-hmm. when you're looking at Afropods, my dream is to take my experience, my knowledge, and one thing that I have as an advantage, I should say, is that, and we can be open mm-hmm. about that, and uh, you coming from Silicon Valley, is that what I've noticed is that uh, in in the continent so far, the risk taking when it comes to investment is kind of low still. I it's non
0: existent for the people, most part.
1: People don't want to take any risk. I mean, the, mm. I think when I tell my Kenyan friends or in, in Tanzania about the risks that I have taken and the hits I have taken, they're like, Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. uh, but okay, then we can say also, we can compare it in a sense of also that. And I have a fortune that, that I come from a country with a very healthy uh, social security okay. system. So yeah. I cannot fall through, like maybe some people can do in 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 Kenya, or and and, I, and I'm 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 fortunate in that sense, and I understand it, and I respect that. But for me, then coming into to East Africa, it is that I see immediately that if I want, this is where I want to work, and I understand that if I'm going to work there, I have to have the sense that I want to be a part of something big, that I will not be the biggest shareholder of if I want to stay there. Because that's not going to work. That's, that's what yeah. I fundamentally think. So with Afropods, already now, the idea is, and actually I can't go into detail to that, but we're also bringing in now a large, uh, a large new shareholder who's going to come in. And they're very big at the, the diasporas, uh, but they also have the same passion as myself. And then uh, the third leg of that will be that we together are looking for uh, investors of bringing uh, the platform more rapid up to the Pan African market, and with that we are only going to look for African investors. That's our key to get the African investors to have a majority share in this venture going forward. And that-
0: that's, that's how you gotta structure it. That's that's definitely right. And. Uh... Listen um, I, I, I can sense you're, you're, you're very self-aware. you know you've been around, you know the game, uh, you have a lot of experience which is which is great to it just makes things uh, more possible and, and maybe even easier right uh, because if you were 20, 25 years younger you'd probably have a lot of things that you haven't learned right and that's the beauty of the experience. Uh, you can kind of think round corners, you can kind of make strategic decisions. So I think, uh, you know, I, I love what you're doing. I think it's, it's, it's definitely has, uh, and the way you're doing it, actually, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really good. Um, so, uh, I think we have at uh, 15 minutes now and we try and keep this thing to 45 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, can't wait to see what you do with Afropod. Is it Afri, Afri- Pod or Afropod? Afropods. AfriPods, Yeah. Yeah. I, I've seen it before. I think I, I came across it maybe a couple of years ago, uh, your, your, your presence. And I was, I was curious. That's when we were starting the podcast, mm. uh, the magic podcast. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, looking forward to kind of watching how you execute and, and potentially even being a client of yours. Um, yeah,
1: hopeful. You're, you're very welcome. I've listened to several of your episodes now in advance of this. So I think, uh, you're going somewhere and we would love to to have you on board uh, in the future.
0: Awesome. All right, Henrik, thank you so much. Thanks uh, really for, thank you for
1: being here and, uh, and uh, talking to you. I really appreciate it and good luck.